Close your eyes and take three deep breaths. This is the only moment you need to worry about. No yesterday, no tomorrow, just right now. You're not late for anything. You aren't going to miss anything. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And you're exactly who you're supposed to be. You're absolutely perfect. And whatever happens today is exactly what is supposed to happen. Dax Shepard This is it. This is the season finale, or like, I guess in our terms, like the chapter, the end of the chapter, the epilogue to the chat. No, okay, that doesn't make any sense. Well, anyways, <laughs> we made it. We made it to the last episode of this entire season, my very first season of a podcast ever, and this is it. We made it. I will just say right now, it is so weird to watch, like, an idea that you had suddenly just turn into reality and then just be done. Or not, not done. I'm coming back for at least another season. But, you know, this part is over. I'm kind of sad. And, like, also relieved. And to be honest, like, ready to go on vacation. <laughs> like, I'm ready. I've worked my ass off on this. And when I say worked my ass off... I have never worked so hard for something in my entire life than I did this. Just, like, hours and hours of, like, working and writing and tears and... It's been... It's been so fun and rewarding just because I have put so much of myself into this. Like, literally all of myself. You know everything about me now. You want to know something exciting? Hmm? You want, you want the 411? You want some cool deets? Okay. I get to go to work in August. Yeah, I can't disclose much, but it may have something to do with, I don't know, being on set and acting and being on camera. Oh, I may have said too much. <laughs> can't say much else other than, like, I'm so fucking psyched you have no idea. Look at my sweet little baby podcast and how she's grown. Oh, I feel like my my child is graduating kindergarten. I'm just so proud of her, you know? So now you know every bad part of me. You know all of my fuck-ups and my bad choices and feelings and all of my love. If you binge-listened up to this point, I'm sure that you're drained. <laughs> and even if you've just been, like, listening every single week, it's draining. I've drained the life out of you, haven't I? That was, that was my intention. I know that it may seem like it was just one heavy episode after the other. And truthfully, 
it sort of was. Like, I meant to do it that way. We talked about my drug overdose, self-harm, child abuse. We went through it all. You know everything. You know I almost got arrested. You know all of the stupid mistakes I made. It really... These episodes have really just been, like, one after the other after the other of just a lot to deal with. My idea was that I wanted to go ahead and get the sadness out of the way. Which is actually very metaphorical for my life, I think. Get the sadness out of the way in the first 20 years so that the next can be beautiful. That's not to say that there won't be sadness or suffering or bad things in the next 20 years... I may be a bit naive in parts of myself, but I'm not that naive. Suffering and sadness is all a part of life. I mean, I think, I think it will be different in the next 20 years because, I don't know, because I feel like I'm better equipped for suffering now. Does that make sense? Honestly, half of this entire season was just me being like, does that make sense? <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to get the sadness out of the way. Get it over, get it done with, so that the rest of this podcast life, however long that may be, can be just at least a majority of happiness on the scale of, like, happiness and suffering. So we suffered for pretty much the entirety of the first season. Um, I don't know. I think I handled all the topics pretty well. I think I did a really good job of not being too, like, emotional about it, but also not just being like, oh, yeah, whatever. What do you think? Did I just, you know, break your heart into a million pieces, or did I do a good job of letting you down easy? <laughs> Comment down below and let me know. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> oh my god, I'm delirious because it's the last episode. I, I wanted to show you this side of me first because it's not a side that I show very often. This was honesty, and is being vulnerable so that the themes of my show, like as we ride further downstream, can be shown more. Like when I talk to other people in chapter two, hopefully, when I talk to other people and we start talking about subjects, it all makes sense. Like it's all intertwined and I already talked about it. So you already know about me, if that makes like any sense at all, but not this episode. This episode was intended to be, like, the happy wrap-up season finale episode. I planned out all of my episodes ahead of time. I wrote down, like, what I wanted to talk about. And then I put the ca I put what I wanted to talk about into categories. And then made a list of where I could, like, put everything in. So, like, the list was, like, dad beating you, being on drugs... <laughs> happy episode. Literally labeled, like, number seven, happy episode. <laughs> Speaking of, so let's get into this a little bit since we're already going, like, a little behind the scenes, if you will. So I am a perfectionist. I was just, <laughs> I was just about to make, like, exceptions to that, but then realized there really are no exceptions. My example was going to be, like, making my bed. Like, I don't actually need it to be made every day. But then I realized, like, I even with that, I have a certain way I need it to look and be. And I, I've never gone a day in my life without making my bed. Or maybe not in my life, but, like, in my recent, like, years. Never one day without making my bed. So, 
perfectionism runs deep. For my very first episode, Speak Up, I was so hard on myself when it came down to, like, actually recording it. So hard on myself. I'd go and I'd sit in my car, record it, and then when I would go to edit it and I'd have to listen back on it later, I hated it. I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. I sound so stupid. I have to re-record this. So I re-recorded and re-recorded that episode three times. And even then I hated it. The second episode I re-recorded twice because I hated it. But then after that, after the second episode, all of the episodes have been one take. I kept thinking that it sounded so bad. I sounded like I couldn't act even after years of training in acting. And then, like, it sounded like I was just reading off of a piece of paper, which I was, but, like, still. I didn't want to sound like I was. (laughs) I wanted to sound like I was, like, just talking whatever, but... I still, like, I can't listen to that episode because I think I sound so bad. I mean, I was nervous. I think that the further into the episodes I got, the more relaxed I became. I don't know if you could, like, tell or not, but I I really think in that first episode you can tell. And I only listened back to that episode after it came out, like, after editing it. And I, I definitely think there's a difference in how I sound in that one versus, like, how I sound in this one. And really, I loved this so much. I think I've poured so much of myself into it. It's been, it's been like blood, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, real tears, but a lot of like smiles and a lot of laughing as well. So just taking a moment here, just thank you so much for listening to me and my stories and my takeaway on life. I know not everyone has listened to every single episode, and that's perfectly fine, you know? But I've really loved getting messages from people who are listening, and they say, I went through the same things, this podcast is so important, everybody should be listening to it. Those just boost my self-esteem. Like, (laughs) they're so beautiful, and I really, really appreciate those messages. And I really, really enjoy the live messages, like how people live tweet shows. You live tweet my podcast episodes. I'll get random messages as this person is listening to it live, and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I know exactly who so-and-so is. Or, you're so funny. Or, oh my gosh, did that really happen? It's been so much fun. And I really, really thank you for listening. The small gap-toothed girl from fifth grade who wore her pants up to her chest would really, really smile at the fact that, yes, people are listening to you now. Over 500 people are listening to you right now. That's crazy. She couldn't even get one person to listen to her back then. And now look at us now, girlfriend. If only you could see now. So anyways, here's the good. Because I promise I'm not just all sad and depressing 24-7. Like, I actually do more than just sit and, like, recollect my thoughts on being a suicidal teenager with a drug problem and an abusive dad. Like, I promise. This episode is all about the now, if you will. The present. The future. Where we go from here. 
that was actually my original title, Where We Go From Here. But you'll find out soon why I picked Rainbow Connection instead. I've had a lot of sad stories on here. But I also have some funny stories. Or I think they're funny. I don't know if anyone else does, but I do. So I have a lot of funny stories, too, that I would like to share with you today just to wrap up this entire season and let you know, like, once again, I'm not just a sad person, I promise. I have some, like, good things going for me. They're funny to me because of how stupid I was in them. Most of my funny stories are, like, from my ignorance or my lack of knowledge in something. First of our funny stories, okay? So I was living on my own senior year, second semester, I get bored living on my own there. Like, there's nothing to do. I think I was snowed in. I've watched all of the movies I've owned. I've played The Sims for three days straight. I have literally nothing else to do, and I'm going stir-crazy. So I decide, you know, I'm going to do some self-care. Treat myself, you know. I wash my face. I paint my nails. I, And then I think, you know... It's been a long time since I've done a hair mask. My hair could use some TLC right now. It's got some split ends, kind of like iffy. So let's do it. I look up a recipe from Pinterest because, you know, that's the place to go in a time like this. The recipe calls for coconut oil, eggs, and avocado. I'm like, great, awesome. I have everything I need. Oh, uh, except the avocados. I'm looking in my fridge and I don't have any avocados. I'm a teenager in high school who lives alone. I don't have any avocados. I can't afford to go get an avocado. What I do have, though, <laughs> is those um, individual cups of guacamole. <laughs> oh, God. In my brain, it all makes sense. You know, avocados are in guacamole. It should just work the same, right? So not only did I substitute an ingredient, I was also too lazy to mix everything together. <laughs> I was like, it's all going in the same place. Just, like, put it on one at a time. So I layered, like, I got a huge glob of coconut oil, and then I just, like, pushed it through my hair. Not even comb it, just, like, glob it there. And then I cracked an egg and put the entire egg, I didn't stir it or anything, just put it in my hair. <laughs> and then finally, I scooped up the guacamole like it was shampoo and just rubbed it all in there. All in my hair. Yeah. <laughs> so I go to rinse this out of my hair in the shower on full blast, heated like lava because that's how I take my showers. If it doesn't almost like melt my skin off, it's not hot enough. If I don't, like, think Satan will bathe in it, I'm not getting in. When I get out of the shower, I go to rub the towel through my hair, and the guacamole is still in there. So, like, I get back in, and I try to rinse it out, and it's just, it's not coming out. The egg that was in my hair is now looking like it was cooked in the heat of the shower, like I have scrambled eggs in my hair. Guacamole is just, like, so entangled in my hair everywhere. It's not coming out. So I did what I knew best, which I, like, reached out to somebody else. I texted Colin's mom, like I did whenever I had a crisis, as we learned. I texted her whenever I dislocated my jaw. 
And I think I said something along the lines of, hey, um, this may sound a little weird, but do you happen to have any idea of how to get guacamole out of your hair? <laughs> she thought it was hilarious. Like, whenever I talk to her now and it gets brought up, she still thinks it's so funny that I texted her just, like, out of nowhere and was like, do you happen to know how to get guacamole in your out of your hair? And this is, like, only the tip of the iceberg of the stories of my inability to follow directions when it comes to food products. Like, the time I made brownies and forgot to put the oil in, so they were, f like, flat chocolate cakes by the time they got finished. Or the time I was trying to make cookies from scratch. We didn't have any baking soda. So I thought, oh, okay, baking powder and baking soda are, like, pretty much the same thing, so I'll just, like, put double baking powder in. You can't do that, just by the way, in case you're ever wondering. I'm sure everybody on Earth knew that, except for me. Those cookies were not even cookies. They were just, like, pure liquid. And then... I was like, that's weird. They're just, like, liquid on this pan. I don't really know what's going on. So I put them in a muffin tin. Because, like, liquid, I thought the muffin tin, it was like a... It would hold the liquid and maybe, like, solidify it somehow. And that didn't help because there was just, like, liquid in them and a gross, like, sugar shell on the top. Yeah, I'm not the, I'm not the best. And then one time I decided that I was going to be the good daughter that I am, the good daughter, the sister, and I was going to make dinner for my family. Like, my loving family, I was going to make dinner. At this point, like, why did anybody even let me near a stove? I decided I was going to make pasta, my favorite meal. And by accident, this wasn't even, like, my ignorance, just, like, an actual accident. I used two cups of powdered sugar instead of flour. <laughs> Our pasta wasn't like a, an Italian pasta. It was like a Jojo Siwa pasta <laughs> with sugar in it. Like, I think that I have learned by now that you can't just like substitute in recipes or forget things. My mindset was always like, oh, can't find the thing? I'll find a similar thing. Like, if a recipe called for bananas and I didn't have a banana, but I had an orange, oh, close enough. They're both fruits, right? <laughs> it's going to work the same way. <laughs> it doesn't. I feel like there's a chef listening to this right now, like chewing me out like Gordon Ramsay. Like, what are you, an idiot sandwich? <laughs> and Gordon Ramsay is not listening to our podcast dealer. Okay. You are not here to listen to these funny stories. But before we get to what I really want to talk about this episode, I have one more funny and really, like, just completely embarrassing story for you. So, like I said many times on this podcast, I get addicted to everything. Everything. And this story proves that. So maybe like two Decembers ago, I was 
coming down with a cold or something. Like, my throat was always hurting. I had this cough. I've had an issue with Hall's cough drops in the past because I will literally go to town eating those fuckers. Like, go to town just popping them, like, one after the other after the other. I really like the berry-flavored ones the most, like the swirly ones, the ones that aren't really cough drops. They're just, like, more, like, sugars, and they don't have, like, the menthol quality, which is what I like about it. It doesn't make my throat feel like I'm swallowing Vicks Vapor Rub. So whenever I go to the store to get these cough drops, I'm looking for the berry ones. I don't, like, I want my throat to feel better, but I also don't want to eat any of those. I want to eat the berry ones. I go to the store and they don't have them. So I'm like, well, shit, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? I'm not going to eat, like, the lemon ones or the cherry ones. Those are disgusting. And during this time, they had just brought out a new flavor of cough drops. They were sugar-free honey vanilla or something like that. Vanilla honey, something along those lines. They were so fucking good. Like, the ones you put in your mouth and it feels like you just, like, melt away, you know? Maybe that's just, like, the addict in me talking about <laughs> whatever. I, I feel like everyone listening right now is like, uh, no, can't relate. They're cough drops. You use them when you're sick. Not me. I like to swallow them one by one by one until the bag is gone. I cannot believe I'm about to tell the story on a public platform right now. Okay. I promise that this story has a lesson for all of you, too. So, please, stick around. I have horrendous, horrendous digestive issues to begin with. It is because of all the things that I've done to fuck up my body so far in life, but I still have to deal with it today. Yes, I have this issue. I've had it. So when my stomach was hurting, it didn't seem out of the ordinary. I'm at work and just like really in a lot of pain. So much pain, I can't even walk straight. And I'm supposed to be, like, delivering pizzas. I can't even carry a bag. I'm, like, tumbling over. I get in my car to go on a delivery, and it is hurting me so bad that I think I'm going to pass out or something. I'm driving towards my house because in this time, I lived, like, two seconds away from Domino's. And as I'm driving, I... so gross. As I'm driving, I just feel it leaking out of me like water. Shit is just leaking out of me without my control. I literally shit myself in my car on a delivery and had to go home and change my clothes. And that's not even the worst part. The worst part is that it happened more than once to me, while I was at home, thankfully, not on a delivery. It happened more than once to me before, I'm not going to tell you how many times, because this is so embarrassing that I'm even telling this to begin with, but yeah, it had to happen more than once for me to finally be like, maybe I should look up what the hell is going on with my fucking body right now. Like, why is it just leaking out of me? Like, in Bridesmaids, when she's like, it's coming out of me like lava. That was me. Okay. Oh my God. I can't believe I'm telling this story. Um, come to find out if you eat enough of anything that's labeled as sugar free, there's something 
there is some kind of ingredient that makes it sugar-free that if you have enough of that ingredient, it actually turns into a laxative. A pretty fucking powerful laxative. So I was just like popping these sugar-free cough drops left and right, not knowing that I'd be shitting myself hours later because of it. (laughs) Oh my god. This is so embarrassing. The dangers of addiction, am I right? The dangers of sugar-free, am I right? Yeah, beware of those fuckers. They're not as innocent as you think they are. Or you know what? Really, just like, don't eat a whole fucking bag of cough drops in one sitting. Sound good? Great. Now that you know that I've shit myself, let's move on. (laughs) This is so funny. Oh my gosh. Okay, regroup. You didn't come here to listen to me talk about shitting myself or substituting recipes. I know what you came here for, which is why I saved the best for last. You had to go through all the shitting stories and everything else to get to this one. The one everyone has probably been waiting for me to tell. The story about Dax. When you're in show business, um, in the industry, you know, like me, someone who's been in it for, um, 0.2 seconds, (laughs) there are these things you have to sign sometimes. And I don't even think it's just exclusive to show business, but it's called a non-disclosure agreement. You have certain things you can't talk about as to, like, how and why and where and when it all went down so that you don't spoil it for other people who, like, may walk in your same shoes one day. You don't go out to the public and, like, start telling everybody, like, oh, this is how it happened and this is who talked to me and whatever. Like, it makes perfect sense because the system works. It works, and you don't want to spoil it for other people. So because of that, I can't talk about a lot of the specifics and the background, but I can talk about a lot of my experience. So Dax. I found his podcast, Armchair Expert, in, like, the worst, the most horrible dark spot of my life. It was right after senior year of high school. I won't go into the details about it, but, like, just know it was really dark and really scary for me. I did not think that I would make it through. And then, like, some kind of sign or something, he literally just appeared out of nowhere. (laughs) After I listened to the first episode, well, it wasn't the first episode, I started listening at Mae Whitman's episode, and Mae Whitman is like, if you don't know who she is, go figure it out, because you're missing out, you're living under a rock. Um, after listening to her episode, I was just, like, instantly hooked. And if you haven't listened to any of Armchair Expert, you need to. I highly, 10 out of 10, would recommend to literally anyone. I love listening to people talk about their lives, and their, like, their funny stories, and their experiences on planet earth not only that but because of the nature of the show you get to hear some really just thought-provoking topics and lessons and not even in a like shove it down your throat way or anything in a really beautiful and human nature way all right thanks for listening to that ad um this was brought to you by armchair expert (laughs) Not really, but it should be. Like, armchair expert, please sponsor me. <laughs> I will come on anytime. And um, 
I'll have you on, you know? Anyways, um, I've listened to, like, every episode. Some episodes, I've listened to more than once. Some examples are Ben Platt. I've listened to his episode an atrocious amount of times. Too many times. But I make no apologies because I love him, okay? Beanie Feldstein's I've listened to a few times. The Love of My Life, David Harbour, I've listened to his. <laughs> Glennon Doyle, who literally is so remarkable it isn't even funny. Okay, Taylor, they came to hear about you, not armchair expert. It sounds insane, but really, it's life-changing. Like, especially if you're like me, and you need some extra help every once in a while. Help that isn't your therapist, like, telling you how to overcome stuff. That's for therapy. Figure your shit out, but sometimes it's just nice to know that you're not the only one out there, if that makes sense. A therapist helps you through things, and then sometimes they relate to you, but sometimes you just, like, sometimes you need to know that there's somebody out there that's just like you, and who makes you feel like your experiences on planet Earth aren't strange aren't out of the ordinary. And that's how it was for me with listening to Dax and his life stories and all of that. As I listened to more and more episodes, the more I related to what Dax was saying. Not just because I felt for him, but also because what he had been talking about, I've been through. And for the first time in pretty much my entire life, I found someone who had been through a lot of what I have also been through, and it was liberating. It's funny, too, because I had always known who Dax was before his podcast. I just never thought that he would be somebody who would mean so much to me, you know? He was in this movie called Employee of the Month way back, way back in the day, um, before I was like, I don't even know, I was probably like six or seven. I was not old enough to be watching this movie. It's a really funny movie if you've ever seen it, but like, maybe like, I shouldn't have been watching it when I was a kid. Not that it's not, not that it's like graphic or anything, just like, you know, you know how kids are. But my family and I, we loved watching American Idol. We've talked about that before. There was this contestant that my family just, like, loved. I don't know if this was at the exact time that Employee of the Month was coming out, or if I saw Employee of the Month after this, or what. But, okay. His name was David Cook. He was... He sings so good. I still listen to his music in the car all the time. Love him. Well, my parents also really loved Dane Cook, the comedian... But I was a child, right? So David and Dane sounded familiar. <laughs> or like a nickname. Maybe David Cook had a nickname of Dane Cook. I thought, I thought that they were the same person. So my parents got Employee of the Month on DVD. They said, hey, we're watching this movie tonight. It has Dane Cook in it. It's supposed to be really funny. And then, of course, I thought... Oh, he can sing and he can act. What a man. <laughs> Love him. Come to find out, they are not the same person. <laughs> but 
while I was watching it, it's kind of like, hey, that guy with the spiky blonde hair is really funny, too. And that's where I first came to know Dax. <laughs> and one of my favorite comedies of all time is Baby Mama, which he's in. He has this scene where he's, like, sitting on the toilet and trying to win a radio contest. <laughs> and I, okay, enough, Taylor. Nobody wants to know all about this. I was already actually binge-watching Parenthood when I found Armchair Expert. And he plays a character named Crosby, who is in my top five characters of that show. Like, top five favorites. Favorite show of all time. Watch Parenthood. It's so good. You will learn lessons and cry. And, okay, this sounds like I'm plugging Doc Shepard in his entirety right now. I'm like, I promise this all comes together, okay? I promise. So, I'm watching Parenthood and crying because it's parenthood. I'm listening to Armchair Expert. I'm growing and evolving as a person. I'm still going through shit. And then this thought. I can't even remember where this thought came from, honestly. Maybe I was, like, watching an episode of Parenthood or listening to an episode of Armchair Expert, but all of a sudden, this thought comes in my head, and I think, damn. I wish Dax was my dad. No, okay, so, actually, I think maybe it came when Armchair Expert, like, has this running joke of calling Kristen Bell mom and Dax dad. I love Kristen so much, but I already have a mom who was in love of my life, and I wouldn't want to trade her for the world. Dax, though, like, the position was open. Like, I'll gladly take him as a surrogate father. I feel like I'm just talking out of my ass at this point. I really don't remember where or when this thought came to me. But, boom. I wish Dax was my dad. That would be amazing. And because I'm a writer, I'm imaginative. When I come up with thoughts like that, I have to kind of, like, play with it. Okay. So what if Dax was your dad? What if? And I started writing, which then, of course, turns into sentences and paragraphs and a full-on storyboard, and now I have this screenplay that I worked on for almost two years, and it's so, so good. It's my baby. It's, it's been workshopped. It's been through 11 versions and rough drafts and scrappings. I mean, I was so proud of this screenplay, and I kept imagining getting it to Dax. I came up with this entire fantasy that I would somehow come into contact with a shit ton of money, and then I'd just, I'd make the movie all by myself. I'd hire who I wanted in my movie, no help from anyone, and be like this once-in-a-lifetime thing that happened to me. So I tried to find this money. This is probably the most ridiculous part of the whole story, really. Like, so ridiculous. I tried to win the lottery. I really tried. I was just constantly buying lottery tickets every single day that I could. I bought so many lottery tickets that I would run out of money. Like, actual money to eat and, like, pay rent. And when I didn't, like, have money to buy from the lottery, I'd enter into every single thing on Publisher's Clearinghouse. I don't even know if Publishers Clearinghouse is a real thing, but I was entering constantly, just putting my name in, 
putting my address down, hoping that one day somebody would just turn up at my front door. But um, I never won even a cent off of the lottery, and never once did anyone show up at my front porch with, like, a giant check. Nobody. I had just <sighs> this entire thing built up in my head. Not a dream, not manifesting, just a complete fantasy. I knew what I would be buying with this lottery money. I knew who I would buy houses for. I knew who I would send money to anonymously. I thought I would just, like, get this money, and then I would walk up into some big movie production company, like, I don't know, like, Warner Brothers, and be like, Hey, um, I have all the money to make this movie, so let me just make it. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. This kid from literally the middle of nowhere just walked in and said she's going to make a movie. Like, sure thing. Have any actor you want. We'll do everything for you. You just pay for it. Um, I'm not that um, educated in how things work in the world of show business, but I'm almost a thousand percent sure that that is not how it goes down. The lottery was not budging. I was poor as fuck. We had barely any money, not even enough to feed ourselves, let alone do anything else like pay rent. So I told myself one day, just like, this has to be the last time. You can't spend any more money on scratch-offs or lottery tickets or sending in submissions to Publishers Clearinghouse. You can't do this anymore. So I bought one more lottery ticket and told myself that if I didn't win that night, if it came back and I had won no money at all, that I'd go to Los Angeles. I'd move there. That was going to be it. I had always wanted to move there. Just... It became another little fantasy of how I would go about getting my screenplay made. I mean, I deliver for Domino's. I thought, you know what, I'll transfer. I'll just transfer to one of the many in Los Angeles that would just so happen to be the same one that Dax would just so happen to order from. And I'm like, carry around my screenplay with the small chance of just so happening to bump into him and my screenplay would just like fall out of my arms and Dax would be like oh oh, sorry hey what's this big stack of papers on the floor a screenplay you say let me just read this (laughs) he'd read it and be like this is the most amazing thing I've ever read in my entire life let me call someone right now and we'll start shooting tomorrow and Even better, I'm going to direct it, and you don't have to audition for the part you wrote for yourself. I got this. (laughs) Like, I really... You have no idea. I really had this, like, dream world scenario (laughs) built up. And just like with the whole walking into Warner Brothers thing, if for anyone wondering, I don't think that's how any of this works. I'm really, just really sure that this is not how that works. I would not be just, like, getting coffee in a coffee shop one day and Dax be there and bump into him and he sees a big stack of papers and is like, oh, let me just take this from your hands and read it. Uh, My name? You cast me in this? 
oh, well, in that case, I'm going to make it. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> like, oh my God. These fantasies we make for ourselves, you know, in case I need to like state this out loud, I did not win the lottery that night. I had a plan to move to Los Angeles and start in on like this dream last summer. But then my grandma died. We got evicted for, I don't even know, a consecutive time. I had been paying a lot of my mom's part of rent before because she couldn't afford to. So I had pretty much just lost all of my savings to go. I decided to instead stay and help her and find a new place to stay and be with her. It was my decision, not my mom's. People on Twitter after the Ellen video came out were actually furious with her. They went, like, people were sending her DMs telling her she was a horrible mother for allowing me to do that. No. I decided to stay for myself. It was my decision. Let it also be known that pretty much from the, from the conception of the screenplay, I had been writing to Ellen. Before that, really, I had been writing to Ellen off and on for, like, a few years in really troubling times. When we would be getting evicted, when I wanted to go and live in Colorado, when my mom's mom was dying and she couldn't get up to Virginia, just writing and writing to Ellen, like, please help my family. Please help my mom. I know that if anybody can help, it is you. Sending her thousands, or maybe not thousands, but a lot of letters. I had sent her letters. I had written in online. You know, sometimes I just send a letter being like, yo, it's been a while. Here's an update on my life. Hope you're doing well. I know you're not reading this. <laughs> so after a while, I was kind of just like, okay, they're never going to answer me. In December of last year, I finished my screenplay. Screenplays, are they ever really finished? No. But I said, this version is the version I want to show the world. This version is what makes me love writing and movies and everything I want to showcase. This is the movie that I want to see. And then I was just stuck. I had this beautiful piece of my soul on my computer. I was just sitting there. I had no idea where to go from there. So I just felt stuck. I mean, what am I supposed to Google in that instance? Like, what do you do when you've written a movie for your surrogate father and you to be in together, but, but your surrogate father has no idea who you are, probably doesn't even know you exist, probably has no idea what he means to you. Like, what do you do? And as I've said before, I hate feeling stuck or trapped. I just felt completely stuck. I had no idea how to get this to reality. And I really believed in my screenplay. I really, really do. And then I thought, well, why don't I just send it to Dax? Okay, well, one, because I didn't want to be like those like spam bots you see under people's tweets and their replies trying to like self-promote themselves. Like, hey, listen to my new rap record on Spotify. I didn't want to come off like that. I didn't want him to block me for doing that because then I'd really be shit out of luck. 
Two, I didn't want him to think I was creepy or weird or obsessive because because I'm not. I'm not a creepy person. I don't want to know every single thing about Dax Shepard and, like, what shoe size he wears and stuff like that and, like, his address. I just... I am very tenacious. And I do believe in myself. And I do have a screenplay that I think is beautiful and that deserves to be read. Plus... Everything that was so beautiful about what this screenplay was couldn't possibly be conveyed into, uh, like, 140 characters on Twitter or an Instagram comment. So, if I didn't want to spam his social media, what's the next best thing to do? Visuals. A video. Exactly. I made a video. Basically showing and, like, talking about how much Dax has meant to me, who I am, what I'm like, and what this screenplay means to me. This video was, like, 16 minutes long. And before you ask, no, you are not going to see it. It is not for anybody but Dax. I had all this planned out, too. Like, in my head, I was going to send this video through any email, like, any email I had associated to Dax. And then I was going to send it in everyone's DMs. Monica, Jess, Rob, Armchair Expert, Kristen, everyone. I wrote it. I wrote an email. I attached the link. And I scheduled it all to go out at exactly 12 a.m. on New Year's Eve. Or 12 a.m. on January 1st, I guess. Whenever the ball struck. Or, yeah, whenever the ball fell, that's when. So it would... It would be classified as the very first thing I did to start off 2020. And I was celebrating New Year's Eve. And as soon as it struck, I was like, oh my fuck, shit, it just sent. And I, no go back now. I can't take it back. But only one person ended up answering, which was Jess. And in the most, in the most kind way possible, he basically was just like, yeah, no. <laughs> so there was that. And so I was stuck again. This was around the time I would be sending a catching up letter into Ellen. No one was answering me. I lost my job. My car broke down. I was dirt broke. I was at, I was at rock bottom. In my previous letters to her, I had I had already been telling her about the screenplay, so she'd been new. She'd been in the know about it since it was born, since the idea came up. So I sat down on my computer, I wrote in, and then I sent that last one into Ellen, just catching her up and telling her about the car, about the job, and then finally adding on to it, hey, I made this video for Doc Shepard. I really hope there's a way that you can get it to him. And then my brother actually sent in a letter for me after my car broke down. And then that was that. And that's the time that they finally reached out to me. And then I went on Ellen and it was incredible, incredible. Like, you've all probably seen the videos by now. I think back on that entire day and it feels like a fever dream. Like, it didn't actually happen. That's, that has to be someone else in that video. It's not me because I... I just can't grasp the concept. Let me go on record with this by saying that as cool and as charismatic and charming and tall and handsome 
as you think Dax is, he's 10 times more in person, 10 times taller, 10 times funnier, 10 times cooler and funnier than he is on screen and through his podcast. You probably figured this out, but I had no idea I would be meeting Dax when I stepped on the plane to LA. No idea. The thought had occurred to me because, like, hello, I watch Ellen enough to know that she's pretty fucking sneaky and likes to surprise people. But I never really, like, believed that Dax would ever be there. I was more convinced that Ellen would, like, pop out of a box or something and scare me than I was about Dax being there. To be completely honest, I didn't want to meet Dax as a fan. I wanted to meet him as, like, I don't know, like an actor, you know? Mutual respect for one another and their work. He wouldn't think I was just some, like, obsessed teenage girl. I didn't want to be just a fan to him because I thought that if I met him as a fan, he'd just forget me an hour later. For me, it'd be 15 minutes of just a lifetime of emotions meeting him. But for him, it might just be another Tuesday. Does that make sense? And that's not derogatory on his character at all, by any means. Just that I know he meets a lot of people. I know he's a busy person, and the last thing that he has time for is to sit with, like, this person and hear about their screenplay, you know? It's show business. Everyone is working on something. Everyone has a screenplay. Everyone wants to make it big. It's not personal. That's showbiz, baby. I was so scared of just being a fan to him that I talked myself out of the possibility of meeting him. Completely. Of course, I'd just be another fan to him. He has no idea about me or who I am. Let me just say, though, that he completely delivered when I did meet him. So let me walk you through some of this, okay? I'm sitting on that couch in that video, and I pick up the call. It's Dax's face that pops up. And I feel frozen. Like, actually frozen. No, 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 this has to be pre-recorded. It's not actually him. Nope. Nope, not him. Oh, no, okay, he's responding back in real time. Okay, wow, shit, holy shit, this is really Dax. Dax is talking to me, to me. When I left that day, I wrote down, like, every single thing that I could remember. But a lot of it was still gone. Like, there are things, even now, that I remember from that day, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. In the video, he says something, like, I don't know, he says something like, I have a present for you. Are you allergic to presents? No? Okay, well, I'll be right back, I'm gonna go get it for you. And as soon as he left the frame, my spidey senses just went on, and I was like, Dax is here. Dax is in this building, he's coming in here. I know it, I sense it. But then I'm also fighting with, like, the cynical side of me that was like, no, he's not. He's literally going to get a present. Don't freak yourself out. And then in through the door, there he is. (laughs) And immediately I'm freaking the fuck out. Like, everything I told myself I would be like when I met Dax went out the fucking window. (laughs) I had this idea that I'd, like, I'd keep my cool and be calm and collected and just, like act so cool and sophisticated, like, we were equals, like, you're an actor, you've been in the business a little longer than I have, but it's fine, I'm not gonna freak out, like, we can, this'll be fine, 
Nope. Went out that door. I watched that video like maybe once since it came out. And I'm actually pretty proud of myself. Like I don't look like I'm freaking out as much. But on the inside, I was going fucking berserk. Like literally berserk. The memory of the first hug I have with him in my head, like in my memories, it's in slow motion, like a movie. And like, it's slow motion, him walking through the door, me seeing him and then standing up and then walking towards him. And then I'm hugging him and he's hugging me. And I start just crying because all that was going through my head while I was hugging him was I have been waiting for this. Everything in my life, all of the bad parts, all of the trauma, all of the times I never thought I'd make it to be 16 or 18 or 20 or 21, all of the times I went to sleep asking and just begging not to wake up in the morning, everything led up to that moment right there. It was the most beautiful and surreal moment of my entire life. So imagine a movie trailer about my life and that hug right there is the climactic part of the trailer where like the music swells and everything speeds up more. And what happened next? Like, I don't even know. (laughs) He sat down, he was holding my hand and I kept thinking, this is Dax. Like, this is, this is fucking Dax. Like right here in front of me, like he is holding my hand right now, while also trying really fucking hard to just stay calm and collected. Like, Taylor, this man is not going to make a movie with you one day if you come across like he's Justin Bieber and you're a six-year-old girl. Calm the fuck down. Chill out. I don't think this made the final cut, but when we sat down, he told me I had beautiful eyes, and I was just like, I have beautiful eyes? The fuck? You have beautiful eyes? Are you joking me right now? Anyone ever tries to insult my eyes? Nope. Sorry. Uh, my dad actually says I have beautiful eyes, so you can't touch them now. Sorry. Go somewhere else, bitch. Bye. And then I said something stupid about how I, like, felt like I was tripping on ketamine. And then we talked about drugs and being sober The whole time I was just like, oh my god, I'm talking to Dax. And then we had that, that beautiful moment when he, when we were, um, I said something about how I don't have a good relationship with my dad and he said that he understood that, like he, uh, they're the worst or something like that. He said something along the lines of, um, yeah, those dad problems are hard. And then that was the chance that I got to tell him that he became that father figure for me. And he, like, he didn't, I don't think he knew the extent of how bad it really was. But I still got to tell him, and that meant so much to me. And then that's when he was like, oh, I don't deserve that. And then tears. I was crying. The whole crew was crying. Everybody in the room was crying. And yeah, just, he does deserve that. He deserves He deserves every ounce of that recognition because I know it's not just me that he's affected like that. It didn't feel like I was meeting Dax. It felt like I was, like, reuniting with a long-lost friend in person for the first time. And I know that kind of sounds, like, weird, but I've listened to him tell stories and talk for two years, but this 
was finally getting to see him in person. Even though he never heard me talking back and didn't know anything about how truly, truly bad it was with my dad, and how finding him meant a lot to me, just somehow I felt like he did. He did know. And then later, we were waiting to come out to where they had the car because the cameras were getting ready. And he was holding my hand while I was like, obviously I was shaking and I was scared and I was nervous. And I just thought, I was like, the one thing that you have to fucking do right now is at least get him to laugh. Because if you can make Dax Shepard laugh, you're solid. You're golden for the rest of your life. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, what's something that I can say that'll make him laugh? (laughs) And then I was like, oh God, what did I say? I said... Um, oh, I said, what if we, what if we go out there and they have like a, like a Hot Wheels car just sitting there? And then he laughed. I made him laugh and I was so relieved. If that had fallen flat, I would have never forgiven myself. I would have gone home and just like never went outside again. Maybe he had like an inkling that I was trying to do that. So he made sure to laugh to make me feel better. But like, hey, he laughed. Whether or not it was genuine, that's up in the air. I mean, it seemed genuine. And I made Dax laugh. So I'm all good now. I made a comedian laugh, which somehow makes me a comedian too. Am I right? <laughs> Just kidding. I am not a comedian. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just the most beautiful day of my life. And I, I wish that I could remember all of it. I'm sure there are things that I'll never be able to remember again, and that makes me really sad, but I hated seeing him walk away to leave, but part of me knew I was going to see him later. I was going to see him again because we were going to make a movie together. And then that's when it fucking hit me. I didn't bring up my screenplay at all. During us sitting on the couch, one of the producers asked me, is there anything you want to ask, Dax? And I went blank. Like, I totally forgot everything. All that was going through my head was, oh my gosh, what is something from parenthood that I can ask him because I know that I have questions and nothing was coming to me. And then later when it hit me, I hated myself for it. The one thing, the one thing I wanted to get to him, I had blanked on. I was so overwhelmed with just emotion and happiness and feelings and excitement that I forgot about the whole reason I was there. The whole reason for everything up until then was that damn screenplay and now he was gone and I couldn't get it to him. I, like I said, I had this dialogue set in my head of like if I ever ran into him at a coffee shop or delivered his pizza or hey, I don't know, like met him on Ellen, I would say like Dax. Dax, I know you're a busy person and I'm not asking for handouts. I'm really not, but I wrote this beautiful screenplay and you and the screenplay are one of the reasons I'm still alive today and all I want to ask you is for you to read it. Read it and trash it. Read it and get back to me about it. Read it and give me notes or read it and throw it in your fireplace. I just really really want you to read what I had to say about you and what I wrote in this relationship and the dynamics and the how beautiful it is and maybe it doesn't mean that much to you but it means everything to me and I didn't even fucking ask him so I was really fucking beat up about that and that is not to say that I am ungrateful for the way that day went like not at all not an 
anyway, best day of my life so far. And I loved just like sitting there and talking to him. I didn't feel the need to be like a certain way. Well, I did. I was just trying to calm myself down. But like personality wise, I didn't feel the need to change myself to talk to him. I just like talked to him. And I love, 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 love the car too. Like here she is. I'm in the car right now. So here she is, Miss Ellie. She's a badass motherfucker. Let me tell you that right now. I am so eternally grateful for that day and Ellen and everything else that happened. But there I was sitting in front of the man who changed so much for me to the point that I literally wrote a movie about him and I didn't even ask him to read it. And like, who knows what he would have said on the spot like that, you know? So maybe it wouldn't have been a good idea anyways, but I should have taken my shot when I had it. So if you ever meet your favorite person on Ellen and he gives you a car and someone asks if there's anything you want to ask him, make sure that you do. Make sure that you ask him. I mean, Dax, like I said, completely delivered and was more than I would have ever expected him to be. He really doesn't give himself enough credit for how great of a human being he is. Really. He says all the time, like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. Like, we're all a piece of shit. But you are, like, one of the best pieces of shit in the world. Like, and with the fat chance that he ever listens to this, I really, really hope you know that. Okay, and here's another funny story about that day. And just, like, how much I live in my head all the time. How much of a fantasy I have all the time. I don't really classify this. No, I do not classify my screenplay as a fantasy just because of how much I believe in it. I'm making it one day somehow or another. Whether I have to rewrite it a hundred times as I age until I'm 95 and Dax is a hundred something and he finally says yes, like I'll do it and I'm not giving up on it. I won't give up on a dream like that. But this is definitely a fantasy, so. Okay, so I left the studios. I left the studios. I went back to my hotel. I was really just trying to process everything that had happened that day because I wanted to make sure that I remembered it. And then I didn't have anything else to do, so I decided to buy a ticket for one of those, um, those double-decker bus tours through Los Angeles, right? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe not if you've never been to Los Angeles, but there's a bus and they just drive you around Los Angeles. They say, I don't even know. They had some facts like that's where so-and-so worked before they, oh, it was like, who was it? Brad Pitt? There was like this chicken place and they're like, Brad Pitt used to wear a chicken costume there before he got found or I don't even know, whatever. Just like really cool stuff like that. You get to see like Sunset Boulevard. We went to, um... Yeah, we went a lot of places. I can't even remember at this point. But this is so embarrassing, admitting this out loud. I had this fantasy of how Dax would just adore me the second he met me. And be like, come hang out with me and Monica and Kristen fucking Bell at our house. (laughs) So ridiculous. Okay, just this whole time on this bus tour... I kept thinking that at any given moment, I needed to know exactly where I was because in this fantasy, 
this unidentified number would call me as I'm, like, looking at, I don't know, like, a site on the tour. I'd be looking, and then my phone would ring, and I'd be like, who the fuck is calling me? And then I'd, like, flip over my phone, and it'd be an unidentified number. And I'd be like, I need to pick this up. And I'd, and I'd pick up, and it'd be Dax. And he'd be like, hey, uh, whereabouts you at? You want to come eat dinner at the Bell Shepherd house with Monica? And maybe, like, somehow Ben Platt will show up, too? Like, come be on Armchair Expert, like, right now. <laughs> oh, my God. This is so embarrassing. Why did I decide to do this? As if this were some kind of, like, fan fiction you read on Wattpad, like... You see this imagination I have that I've been talking about all season? I'm ridiculous. Like, how preposterous and naive that was. I mean, in a very deep and underlying way, I wanted Dax to fall in love with me as a daughter the way I had always hoped my dad would. I had this real big fear that because I forgot to mention my screenplay, Dax would just forget about me. And that I fucked up. I fucked up the biggest day of my life, and it was too late, and it was gone. He was gone. All of my fears started getting triggered. Being abandoned again. Being forgotten. Not being good enough. Me fucking something up again because I thought it was all I could ever do. Just fuck things up. Obviously, I worked through all of those feelings. I think if you have a dream and you believe in it enough, you have the power to make it real. Whether you forget to mention it to somebody the very first time you see them. I'm making this movie. I will see Dax again one day. We will work together on this movie. I believe in it. Because I believe in myself. And I don't know. It's just following your knowing. You remember how I said we would get to the reason why this episode is named Rainbow Connection? Because that's what it was. Dax was my Rainbow Connection. The song says... Someday we'll find it. And that day I did. I told myself every single day that I was writing this movie that I would be found. Okay, we all know how much I love Dear Evan Hansen by now, so this is no surprise. I told myself over and over and over and over and over again. And I listened to that song over and over and over and over and over again. On the plane right there, in the car, going to the studios... I told myself, you will be found. And that day, after we wrapped filming, one of the producers told me, Taylor, you've been found. It sounds so cliche and, like, so dramatic, and it probably is to some people, but to me, like I said, all of my pieces felt whole when I met Dax and when I made this story, and all of it just feels like that's how it's supposed to be. Everything I've gone through was building up to what comes next. This was my rainbow connection. My calling. My knowing. I hope that whoever you are, wherever you are in this world, I hope you know that one day you'll find yours too. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. 
Rainbows have nothing to hide So we've been told and some choose to believe it I know they're wrong, wait and see Someday we'll find it the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. Who said that every wish would be heard and answered and wished on the morning star? Somebody thought of that. And someone believed it And look what it's done so far What's so amazing that keeps us stargazing And what do we think we might see Someday we'll find it the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. All of us under its spell. We know that it's probably magic. Have you been half asleep? And have you heard voices? I've heard them calling my name. Is this the sweet sound they call the young sailors? The voice might be one and same. I've heard it too many times to ignore it. It's something that I'm supposed to be. Someday we'll find it. The rainbow connection. The lovers, the dreamers, and me.